0: There's nothing like the Christmas season. When you think about all the songs surrounding the season, think about all the sights of the season, the smells, the symbols, all the scenes, everything, even the shopping at Christmas is all just extremely special. But none of it is satisfying. It's only the Savior himself the Son of the living God, that truly brings the satisfaction of the soul during the season. If you don't know the Son, if you don't know the Savior, then you'll always live unsatisfied. And so today, and all the Sundays in December, even on Christmas Eve, as we come together to celebrate uh, the birth of the Christ, I want to look at the scriptures with you to help you understand that Christmas, or literally Christmas, is the divine invitation to celebrate. Christmas is the divine invitation to celebrate. Everybody likes a celebration, everybody wants to celebrate. But only those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can truly celebrate the season as it was meant to be celebrated. There's nothing greater than the joy that salvation brings. There's nothing greater than the joy that understanding the Christ child brings. That's why Christ said in, in Luke chapter 10, when the men had come back from doing a a ministry for him, and they were absolutely ecstatic about what they had seen happen in the cities in which they preached the gospel. The Lord said these words, don't rejoice over this, but rejoice instead that your names are written down in heaven. If you want to get excited about something, don't get excited about your ministry, get excited about your destiny. Get excited about the fact that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord God of Israel. That's why in Luke 15, in the parable about the lost uh, sheep and the lost silver and the lost son, there is great celebration over one sinner that repents in all of glory. The angels in heaven celebrate when one soul repents. Repents. Because salvation brings the greatest of all celebrations, not just in this life, but especially in the life to come. And so during the next couple of weeks, I want to unfold for you this divine invitation. Help you to understand it. It was an invitation that was, that was given, okay, before the Messiah ever arrived, In fact, this is what the writer of Isaiah says. Isaiah 55, verse number number six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's just one of a slew of verses in the Old Testament about this invitation to come And call upon the name of the Lord and receive the forgiveness of sins. So the invitation was given by the Messiah before he ever arrived. But it was also given while the Messiah was was around on earth. In Matthew 11, he said, call upon me or come to me. Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and gentle in heart. In John 5, verse number 40, he said, Oh, if you would just come to me, but you were unwilling to do so. In John 7, 37, he says, For those of you who are thirsty, come, and I will give you the living water. So while Christ was here, he always extended the invitation to come and follow him, come and follow me. Before he ever arrived, all throughout the Old Testament, the invitation was offered. And then after the Lord God Messiah ascended into heaven, the invitation was still offered. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord... They shall be saved. And all throughout the New Testament, the writers would extend the invitation and rejoice over those who would receive the invitation and accept the gospel into their lives. And even to the very end, in Revelation 22, listen to the words of our Lord when he says these words in the last chapter of the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, Come, let the one who hears say come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. There's always been the invitation to come. It's been extended since the beginning of time. So Christmas is that divine invitation To come and celebrate. Celebrate what? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to break all that down for you. We're going to break it down for you so you understand what it is we're celebrating and why this season needs to be celebrated at its fullest. Because you just don't want a seasonal celebration. You want a continual celebration. It's continual because it's a transformational celebration. It's an inspirational celebration. It's a sensational celebration. The world has a seasonal celebration, but the Christian has a continual celebration. And so we wanna break it all down for you. And so you can understand how it is we can celebrate the divine invitation at Christmas. All right? If you got your Bible, let's turn to that very familiar story in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this is where we're going to begin this morning. And we're going to begin here and then take you all the way back to the beginning and work our way through so we can arrive back here again at the end this morning. But Luke chapter 2, you know the story. It reads as follows, it's very familiar, verse number eight. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now just think about that. We read that every year at Christmas. We see it on Christmas cards, right? But you have to understand the context of Luke chapter 2. You have to understand the Jewish mind in Luke chapter 2. You have to understand what was happening in Israel in Luke chapter 2 that led up to this divine invitation, to celebrate, celebrate the coming of the Christ child. And so let me state it this way. The divine invitation to celebrate is number one, the communication of unspeakable joy. We are going to celebrate the communication of unspeakable joy because this was, the, this was what was communicated. We bring you good news of great joy. Why would it be good news and why would it be great joy? Well, as you recall, there was 400 years where God never spoke between the Old Testament and the New, between what we know in the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, or the book of Luke, the book of Mark. 400 silent years, God never said a word. Angel never spoke. A prophet never prophesied. 400 years. And so the anticipation surrounding the Messiah began to wane. And so on this eve, wherever it was, probably... Month of April, not December, but that's okay. When the angels were out tending their flocks and the glory of the Lord would shine all around, right? Very important. And the angels would say, we bring you good news of great joy. This was the fulfillment of what the Savior had promised all along. And you need to understand that. Now think about this. It had been 400 years since God had spoken. An angel had appeared. Or a prophet had prophesied. In Luke 1, we know that the angel Gabriel show, showed up to Zacharias as he was performing his priestly duties in the temple. And told him he was going to have a son. That son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. The angel then would appear to Mary, tell her she would be with child, and Mary and Zechariah would record a song, a song that we will look at in a few moments, both of them, to help you understand what they had been longing for and anticipating. But think about this. Before those 400 years and the arrival of the Messiah in Luke 2, it had been 4,000 years 4,000 years when the promise was first given. That's a long time to wait. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, right? We know that Adam and Eve had sinned, they had been created perfect, they lived in paradise, and they sinned and they were cast out of the garden. And the Lord God gave a promise a promise that the seed of a woman would crush the serpent's head. And from that time, some 4,000 years before the New Testament, they began to anticipate this one who would come and crush the serpent's head. And so they began to relay the message to Cain and Abel. And on through the centuries. And then you come to Genesis chapter 5 and Enoch is born. The seed hasn't come yet. The serpent's head has yet to be crushed. Right? So Enoch shows up. And we talked about this on Sunday mornings, right? When he was 65 years old, he had a son named Methuselah. And he began to walk with God for 300 years. And what did he preach? He preached these words in the Jude 14, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's preaching this for, for 300 years, right? So people are now are thinking, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The seed is going to come and, and crush the serpent's head, and he preaches for 300 years, And then he dies. But he had a son named Methuselah, whose name means when he dies, it shall happen. So they're thinking that when Methuselah dies, what's going to happen? The seed is going to come and crush the serpent's head. But that's not the case. When Methuselah dies, what happens? In the same year, the flood comes and the whole world's destroyed. So where's the promise of the seed? They're all living in anticipation of this. But sin had engulfed the world. And God destroyed everyone except Noah and his family. They had to start over. Noah, his family, eight souls, started all over again. Having been a preacher of righteousness, which Noah was, having been a contemporary of Methuselah, knowing what his father had (laughs) preached about the Lord coming with all of us holy ones, to destroy all the ungodly, knowing of the promise that was given to Adam and Eve about the promised seed, Noah and his family began to repopulate the earth. And they did. And then everyone then would begin to ponder the arrival of this Messiah. Then in Genesis chapter 12, you have the call of Abraham, right? Right? And Abraham responds to the call. And God says, through you, I will bless the nations of the world. And there's this big push, this big anticipation, this big movement toward once again, there's going to come a seed that's going to bless the nations of the world. And now that whole motivation begins to be ramped up once again, that somehow, some way, sometime, that seed is going to come and, and bless the nations of the world. And God begins to unfold more and more and more before the people. Remember in John chapter 8, verse number 56, it says these words, Your father Abraham, Christ says, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What day? Well, he had the promise, right? He had the promise of the coming seed, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of the the sun, the seed, and the soil, all three wrapped up in one. So he's anticipating all this. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Christ tells the religious establishment that Abraham Lived in anticipation of the celebration of the joy that Messiah was going to come, that the Savior had promised joy. So Abraham lived and he began to preach and tell others. He had a son named Isaac. He had a son. Named Jacob. And the 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. But then Israel was taken into captivity. They were there for 400 years. 400 years, right? They began to cry out to God. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible tells us that God heard their cries, verse 7. The Lord said, surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to the cry because they're taskmasters. For I am aware of the sufferings, so I have come down to deliver them. Very important statement. I am coming down to deliver my people. Remember, only God only comes down for one of two reasons, to deliver you or to destroy you. Only reason God comes down. He was coming down to deliver Israel and destroy Pharaoh and his army. But he came down to deliver Israel. And, listen carefully, Moses, in this conversation with God, asks him what his name is. And God tells him, I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. And then he goes on and says this. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. This is how I want to be remembered. This is my memorial name. What is my memorial name? That I am a deliverer. I am that I am. Christ said in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Why? Because the I am is a savior. He is a deliverer. The God of Israel is that savior and deliverer. And when you look at this name that's to be remembered, boy, I wish I could go through it with you because it, it just does several things. It number one declares the preeminence of God. it demonstrates the power of God. it describes the provision of God, it delineates the purposes of God, but it also delights the people of God. There's only one name that delights the people of God. It's the name of Yahweh, the name I am, the memorial name of God, the delivering name of God, the memorial name of God that's to be remembered for all eternity. So God tells them, this is my name. He delivers them out of Egyptian bondage. He brings them into the promised land. But what happens? They rebel against him. They turn against him. They forget about him. They forsake his ways. They go off into captivity again. But before they go, the prophet Isaiah begins to prophesy. And tells them these words in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, The people who walk in darkness, they're gonna see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. And they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. He's telling them that gladness is coming, that joy is coming. They're not even in captivity yet. It's a 100 years before that happens. But He's telling them that gladness and joy is coming. And he says what? child will be born, a son will be given, and the government should be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He tells them, it's coming. And then over in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse number one. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. But Israel did not repent, did not turn. They went off into captivity, and there they would be for for 70 years till they returned back to Jerusalem, back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And they sat, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And the prophet Malachi said these words, Behold, Verse, chapter three, verse number one. I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, that's the Messiah. Behold, he is coming. The messenger in whom you delight Why? Because you see, it's always been the promise of the Savior to provide joy that would only come through his arrival. And so he tells them, the messenger in whom you delight. In Haggai 2, verse number 7, he is the desire of the nations. So this Messiah is not only your desire, he is your delight. That's who he is. It's no wonder they would live in anticipation of this one who would come and delight them. And then he says in Malachi 4, gets even better, chapter 2. But for you who fear my name, the son, win of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You want to talk about joy? Wait till the son of righteousness comes. You'll have joy. It's going to overwhelm you. And they waited. They waited and they waited 4,000 years until Luke's gospel and the Messiah arrives so when the glory of the Lord would shine all around them the angel said to the shepherds he's here here's the good news Great joy has arrived. You've been waiting 4,000 years. And now he's here. Talk about a celebration. Talk about a long time. That's a long time, right? And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and they just kept waiting. But very few anticipated. You got... Mary and Joseph, you got Zacharias and Elizabeth, you got Anna and Simeon. Remember, Anna was longing for the redemption of Jerusalem, and Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. They were living in anticipation of the arrival of comfort and joy that would come through the arrival of the Messiah. They were waiting for it. You get to come. They knew about the prophecies, they understood them. They began to connect the dots. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you make careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The prophets of old Began to search and inquire over and over again because there was this progressive revelation all throughout the Old Testament. It would build one upon another from Genesis to the book of Malachi. All the prophecies would begin to build and build and build and build. And they searched with great inquiry to figure out what was happening. How is this all going to come together? And with each spoken word from a prophet, each word from God, they would hang on every single word thinking, is now the time. There's a child that's going to come. There's a son that's going to be given. And this Messiah will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the eternal father. The government will be upon his shoulders. The light will shine. The joy will come. And all will be bright. They waited. And they waited. That's why Christmas is the divine invitation to celebrate, number one, the communication of unspeakable joy. You have to put yourself in their shoes. We hear the story every year. We go to church every week. The Messiah has come. He's lived. He's died. He's risen again. We know he's coming again. We have so much more than they had yet they lived waiting and waiting and waiting from that very first sin and that very first prophecy of the seed that would come and crush the serpent's head and now he's here now he's arrived so mary what does mary say this is what she says Luke 1, verse 46, and Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? Why? Because the Savior promised joy. That's why. That was always the promise. When the Savior comes, when the Messiah arrives, joy will finally be yours. Why? Because you will have been set free from all of your bondage. My soul exalts in the Lord. It rejoices in God, my Savior. What does Zechariah say? He says this. <clears throat> because the tender mercy of our God, verse 78, with which the sun rise from on high will visit us. What's he quoting? Malachi 4, verse number 2. When the sunrise from on high shall visit us, we shall skip about like calves in the stall. There'll be such great joy. He knows Malachi's prophecy. He's a priest. He knows the Old Testament. He says, verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Finally, peace is here. And my son will be the forerunner to that Messiah. That's why there's so much joy. That's why the Messiah was called the expected one. That was entitled for the Messiah based on Isaiah 40 and Psalm 118. He's called the coming one. Why? Because everybody lived in anticipation of the one who was going to come. Who was that? That's the Messiah. In Greek, it's it's called the erikomai, the one who's going to come. And so in Luke's gospel, in the third chapter, it says in verse number 15, now while the people were in the state of expectation, what were they expecting? They were expecting the expected one. They were expecting the coming one. They were expecting the Messiah. They were in a state of expectation. Why? Because John the Baptist was there. He was a forerunner to the Messiah. So it says... While the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them, "All oh, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming, or the coming one is coming. The Erechomai is going to arrive, and when he comes, he'll baptize you with the Spirit." So they were thinking of John the Baptist. Was the coming one, but he wasn't. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. Malachi 3, verse number 1, prophesied about the forerunner, the messenger who would come and pave the way for the one in whom you delight. The messenger in whom you delight, the, the Messiah. And even John the Baptist, the great forerunner of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 7, Said so these words, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things, summoning two of his disciples. John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one? Are you the coming one? Are you the Erechomai? Are you the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and Psalm, and Psalm 118? Or excuse me, Psalm 40 and Psalm 118? Are you the coming one? So he goes and he sends his disciples to Jesus and uh, to ask them, are you the expected one? Why? Because John's in prison and he was the foreword of the Messiah. So he's thinking, why, why am I in prison? If, you send, if you've come to send, set the captives free and I'm in prison, what good is that? Where's the joy in being in prison? Because he was expecting something from the Messiah that was different than what the expected one was going to bring. The salvation of the soul that brings eternal joy. You see, the Savior promised joy. It's always been the promise. It comes only through the salvation of the living God. So if the Savior promises joy, then only salvation can provide joy. Only salvation can provide it. That's why in Romans 14, 17 it says what? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy only comes when you have peace. Peace only arrives When you have been declared righteous by the living God. So from righteousness comes peace. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a friend of God. And from that peace now comes the joy of God. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why Christ said in Matthew 5, when he preached that sermon on the the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want true blessing? And the word he uses is makariori, which speaks about the inner contentment of the soul. You want joy? Let me offer you joy. Blessed are, the pure, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the blessed one, the one who realizes he's nothing, the one who realizes he has no bottom of the barrel of scrape, because there is no bottom. He's absolutely incapable of achieving anything because what I give you, you cannot achieve. You can only receive. And it comes through the grace of Almighty God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they are the ones who will be comforted. Comfort only comes to those who are broken over their sin, who realize they are separated from the true and living God. That's where the true comfort comes. That's the message the Messiah preached. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they and they only will be satisfied. Satisfaction comes nowhere else outside of the saving work of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Christmas is the divine invitation to celebrate the communication of unspeakable joy. We bring you good news of great joy. We're not just bringing you normal everyday news, normal news, old news. This is great news, best of all news. And this news is not just going to give you some semblance of joy, some happiness. No, this is gonna give you great joy because it only comes through the arrival of the Messiah. That's why it's so important for us to understand what the Christmas season brings. That's why it's a continual celebration, not a seasonal celebration. We don't have joy at Christmas. We have joy all year round. Why? Because, listen, if the Savior promised joy and salvation is that which provides joy, that means that only saints possess joy. We're the only ones who possess it. Why? Because the Spirit pledges joy. Galatians 5, The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, and joy, right? The kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the saints possess joy simply because the Spirit pledged joy. And the Spirit can only pledge joy because the Savior promised joy. And the joy that the Savior promised only comes through the saving grace of Almighty God. Because salvation is the only thing that provides true, eternal joy. See that? That's why Christmas is a divine invitation to celebrate. Celebrate what? The communication that came with unspeakable joy. Joy. I miss when the world was completely dark. Nothing had said, no one had said anything about the arrival of Messiah. And then out of the blackness of night, if you've ever been in Israel, and there, there's no lights in Israel, it's just stars in the, in the blackest of night. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord would shine all around. What's the glory of the Lord? The presence of God manifested in light. God's presence was all around them. Joy has come down. After 4,000 years of promises and prophecies, he's here. And the angels communicate that because that's the joy. See, wait a minute. I know the Savior promised joy. I I know that salvation provides joy. I know that as a saint, I possess joy. Joy because the Spirit pledged joy to me. I understand that. But why is it then at this time of the year I have no joy? It's a good question. Let me ask that two ways. Number one, because Satan plunders joy and sin always poisons joy just does. Satan wants to plunder joy. He doesn't want you to live the joyous life. Of course not. And so he's going to tempt you because he knows that sin will always poison joy. And it does. That's why David in Psalm 32 would talk about how God's hand was heavy upon him. In the Psalm 51, he said, Lord, restore to me the what? Joy of my salvation. He had lost the joy of his salvation. He possessed joy. He was the king of Israel. He believed in the promises of joy. He knew that salvation provided joy, right? Right? But he knew he had lost the joy. Why? Because sin poisons joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It only came when he asked forgiveness of his sins and repented of his sins and turned from the evil of his ways through the murder of Uriah and through the idolatrous ways or the immoral ways with Bathsheba and how he had lied and deceived his family and his nation. When he repented, Joy was restored. So when you ask yourself, why is it at this time of the year, I have no joy? You must ask yourself, and kind of realize that Satan wants to plunder all that joy. And will stop at nothing to do so. So it will tempt you so sin will poison all that joy. But remember this, the scriptures will always promote joy they just will that's why the bible says that the precepts of the lord are righteous rejoicing the heart rejoicing the heart the psalmist said in psalm 119 verse number 162 I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. He would say earlier in verse number 14 of Psalm 119, these words, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. He knew that if he forgot the word, he could not rejoice in the statutes of God. The only way to rejoice was to remember all that God had said. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse number 77. May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 111. I have inherited your testimonies forever for they are the joy of my heart. How about you? Is God's word the joy of your heart? Let me tell you something. When the word of the Lord came down on that Christmas night and said, we bring you good news of great joy, something about that word that was communicated to those shepherds caused them to go in haste, to see this word that had been spoken to them, that made them make a beeline to Bethlehem to know that joy had come down. They had waited so long, and now he was here. They were invited to celebrate. They were given a divine invitation to come and celebrate the Messiah. That's why Christmas is a divine invitation to celebrate. Number one, the communication of unspeakable joy. We are celebrating the fact that news has come, the only news that matters. We live in a world with nothing but bad news, right? It's bad every day. Don't watch TV, it's all bad news. But you open the Word of God, it's all good news. And that good news brings not just joy. It brings great joy. Because through that word is the salvation of the souls of man. I would trust that this Christmas season would not just be a moment in time, but a continual celebration of the joy that comes. That's unspeakable joy. It can't be described in words. Because this joy is the delight is the, is the messenger in whom is our delight. He is the desire of all the nations. He is the one who caused you to skip about like newborn calves in a stall with great unhindered joy because that's what salvation does. And we rejoice in God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, the opportunity you give us to celebrate you we are so grateful, and we thank you, Lord, that as we gather together, we are tuned in once again to the birth of the Christ child, and all that it means, and all that it stands for, that we might be the children of the living God, living for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.